0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Frazier and Dieter's Business Beat. I'm John Ray, along with Roger Lesby. Roger, how are you doing this morning?
1: I'm doing fine. Good to see you. It's and great
0: Thank to see you, you, you for having us on again. Oh, it's, it's great to have you on and highlight another successful Frazier and Dieter client, right? Well, yes, sir. Now, you brought a colleague, Courtney Mishu, right?
2: Yes, sir. Okay. Good morning.
0: Courtney, it's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. You want to tell us what you do for Frazier and Dieter? Yeah, sure. Um, I work in the tax department right with Roger Lesby. I'm a senior tax manager there, so I help him a lot with his high net worth individuals and his pass through businesses. Outstanding. So, surrounded by expertise around Dan Peck. Dan, thanks for being with us. Dan is the uh, CEO and founder, actually, of TAB Retail Remodeling, Inc.
2: Yes, sir. Good morning. Good morning.
0: Glad to have you here.
2: Glad to be here.
0: So tell us a little bit about TAB Retail Modeling and what you do, and and tell us about how it all got started.
2: Well, TAB Retail Remodeling was put together in 2001 as a direct uh, result of uh, there was a company called Gage Marketing that was working with Lowe's, and they were owned by Frank Argenbright, who had owned Argenbright Securities, when he sold his business to the TSA, he wanted to, uh, he was going to basically delete the gauge part of the plan so he could uh, save some money on his taxes from the money they made. Uh, the, the current time, the person that was involved with TAB or gauge went to Lowe's, explained the situation, said, if you could put me, you know, give me a chance, put me in shirts on Monday. I could start my own business and take over all the guys that are working in your current locations. It's about 68 people that were scattered in different Lowe's stores. And that's how uh, Tab came to be. Um, I was part of the new store team for Lowe's, so I handled that in the field till 2004. I came into the office in January of 2004 and took over within four months the uh, chief operations officer position. Uh, We had a lot of house cleaning due. do. They had a lot of individuals in there. Not really sure what their positions were, Um, so we were top-heavy. Went through, cleaned up the organization, had a lot of debt that we had to deal with, but by the end of the year, we had had that cleaned up and all out of the way. Um, Now you had a 1% owner at the time, or 100% owner at the time, uh, which I worked for. Uh, He... You know, for lack of better terms, he kind of ran the company on the ground the next four years. We did quite a bit of business. We had good revenue stream. We had good, um, you know, retained earnings. But by time salary and distributions, we found ourselves about $4.5 million in debt in the beginning of 2008, right around when things started to go sour with the economy. Uh, At that point, I had told this individual that I would make sure he wouldn't end up on the street. So I made him a 10-year $250,000 $250,000 a year uh, offer. If the company went out, he got nothing. He got no interest, he, but he wouldn't be on the street. So I took it over February 4th, 2008. Uh, we were out of debt by the end of oh eight, and went through quite a significant change. We changed the office staff. We changed the, some of the field staff. We eliminated mid-management positions. Uh, we moved about 15 miles north of Oakwood, Georgia, to Gainesville, Georgia, to a new facility there. And then with the economy, it was – I had done it before. I had gotten an organization out of debt before, so I was confident that I could do it again. Then the economy hit. Yeah, then we had 2008 and 2009. Yes, sir. And uh, for whatever reason, I guess with the new stores slowing down the opening – Everyone wanted to start to clean up their existing stores. So what we do, our primary focus, were big-box remodelers. Mm-hmm. Lowe's, Walmart, Office Depot, Burlington, Sprouts, Publix. And they just needed to clean up their stores, so they, needed, they wanted to outsource it. Uh, we had gone to Walmart and suggested that we could handle working their remodels. At the time, they had used about 180 people. It took about 22 weeks. Uh, so I had offered to do a store with 55 people in 10. Wow. You know, to put a little skin in the game, I said at the end of the project, if you don't like it, don't pay me for it. Look at you. (laughs) Go Dan. So we had to get a little aggressive to kind of broaden our base, and at that point, we were about three weeks, four weeks into the first store. We got two more. And then the Walmart remodel process had started from that point, and we grew the business from there, so we about a little more than doubled in 2009 from, from previous years, and we've grown ever since.
0: Now, I'm curious, uh, Dan, the, the thought process that's going through your head at that time. It's easy to look back in retrospect and think, oh, that was a great time to do this. You know, in 2008, everybody thought the world was coming to an end, right? I mean, like, big New York banks were going under and getting rescued, and financing disappeared, which meant, obviously, a lot of negative things for real estate and that whole market. So what, what gave you the confidence at that time
2: to plunge in the way you did? I I relied a lot on my background. You know, I, I grew up, uh, my dad was a VP with F.W. Woolworth. Uh, I worked for Woolworth when I was in college, after college. So I knew my way around retail. Um, that's what I know. That's what I feel I'm best at. And... With the economy, with so many things happening on three legs of the economy, which had never occurred at the same time, I, I just felt that you know people still need to shop, regardless of where their money was coming from. They still needed to shop. They still needed to go and get items that they needed. It might not be as as many things as they bought in the past, and we could see the effect on the low side. You know, it was starting to, to to impact the building industry, even the home remodeler. So the schedule was shrinking there, and we had just cleared all the debt that we were in. We had just brought on a bunch of new employees. And, you know, as the CEO, and I'm sure a lot of CEOs feel this way, when you go to bed every night, you know, you have not just your employees but their families on your mind all the time. And, you know, to finally clear a hurdle and then be looking at the possibility of going backwards, you have to do some things that are unconventional. And at that point, Walmart had never really used third party to do remodel work. They had used us to set up new stores. They had never really had people touch their merchandising. And, you know, that's what we do. We're a merchandising company first before we're a fixture organization. So it kind of felt, I felt like if we did what we were supposed to do with the personnel that we had, we couldn't fail. And... I, I guess, luckily, we did not fail. <laughs>
1: and then explain to John, Dan, uh, even though the economy was down at the time, how how actually, inversely, it, it helps you because there's so many more employees and
2: talent for you to choose from. Yes, sir. They, when the economy, you know, took the hit, a lot of people were out of work, but they still possess that same work ethic. They know they have to get up in the morning. They know they have to go to work. And as we kept pulling... More and more business, because more organizations would come to us and say, "Hey, we like what you 're doing over there. We want to do the same thing. we want to clean up our stores. we still have customers coming in, we want to be presentable, we want to be you know in stock we want to you know get maximize our position. Well, we had the employees back then to do it there was i mean I had people with you know master 's degrees, doctorates, but they wanted to come to work they weren 't really you know too concerned about pay scale at that point they were more concerned about taking care of their families and we kind of thought of ourselves as a family organization so as we were bringing these people in it it was awfully easy to grow and when we got phone calls saying hey we need another 80 people in maui hawaii next week we need you know another hundred people when hurricane sandy came through uh, we sent almost five six hundred people up to northeast to help just stock stores it wasn't even a remodel or a reset or anything like that. It was just to help the store's stock, to keep them in the water, keep them in all the stuff that people needed. So we had access to all those employees, and it was it was really fairly simple to grow, and you know it was it was easy to educate the people coming in as to what we did, and you know we had on-site trainers, and so we we invested the time and the effort. But it, we were working with a really good pool of employees, so it made life easy.
1: Tell John about some of the other companies that that we've set up as well and, and what their responsibilities are.
2: Well, over the last um, probably 10 years, uh, we had, you know, as we were being successful in these organizations, they came to us, they said, hey, you know, we work in union markets. We really need some help in union markets because the current uh, idea in a union market is you're allowed to send one non working supervisor, but in order to direct 40 people that have never worked in a store, retail store, have never seen a certain fixture, have never done merchandising. It's difficult to convey that, especially when you're working in a field where you're bringing in guys that are earmarked as carpenters. So we went up, I went to New York, I sat down with the union, we were able to engage and get an international agreement that's out of the the, uh, 225 down here in Atlanta. And what that enables us to do is work one-on-one. So if we're gonna do 40 people in a new store, I can send 20 of my employees to work hand-in-hand with the union employees. And what that's done in markets like Chicago, I mean, we've had tremendous success because now we're at the point where we can send less and less of our people that travel and use more local uh, union labor because we've seen them over and over and over, you know, and they, they understand the process. They've been trained. They can come in. Uh, you know, we, we will go back to them time and time again because they're there. They're local.
1: And so now Dan's a a highly profitable company. We're filing in at least, what, 35-plus states and uh, all across the country. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty remarkable, his story.
2: Well, we go through uh, the RFP. We just finished one now with one of our clients, and um, we work pretty much nationally. We've been to Alaska. We've been to Hawaii. uh, Wherever they have retail locations, we've been to Puerto Rico, uh, we've been approached about going out of the country right now. We're like our foothold here in the U.S. and uh, the workforce that we have, and we've been able to, back to Roger's point earlier, we've been able to, to bring in different divisions. We have that union division. We brought in a you know a female owned leg of our company that. Deals with Sprouts, so there's a lot of Sprouts markets that we've been working in exclusively with them to get their stores up in the southeast area. Been to the west coast for them to do remodel work. Uh, We've opened a staff, strictly a staffing company where we'll put in some of our senior managers where they'll go in. We'll go into a market and we'll hire locally for the entire store. So if we might need 45 people, we might only send two managers and the 43 people come from that market. And that's just, those are stores that don't have a very large uh, remodel footprint. They don't need a lot done. It's more cleanup and re and, uh, remerchandising. So it's something easily that we can easily train people to do. And it lowers the cost because you don't have the added expense of traveling entire crews in.
0: We're speaking with Dan Peck. And Dan is the CEO, founder of Tab. Retail Remodeling, a fascinating business. And, Dan, I'm curious about just this. I mean, you're on the ground floor of retail, shall we say. I mean, you're seeing it right there on the ground floor. Talk a little bit, you know, from a 40,000-foot point of view about how you see the retail industry right now, what's going on, what you see uh, over the next
2: few years. Well, retail is evolving. I mean, it always does. I mean, in, in the retail industry, You see it all the time. You cannot be a dinosaur. If you do not change with the times, you will be left behind. A perfect example is what's going on with Sears and some of those organizations that, you know, in the 1970s, they were the top organization in the United States. There's no reason they shouldn't still be here. But you can't be complacent. And you see that in a lot of retailers. You're seeing some retailers that came in. Uh, specialty brands that were able to come in, like the H&H Greggs that are now no longer with us. And, you know, there's a combination of things going on. I think you have to really understand your, your marketplace. You have to understand your client base. And if you want to increase your client base, you have to be careful how you go about that because certain organizations and certain retailers have been successful because of their client base. And when you stretch to to expand that client base, sometimes you dip into areas that directly affect the mass base you already service. You know, you see that uh, Target had that going for a while, mm-hmm. where they wanted to bring in higher end product lines, and you know, it, it hurt them a little bit. It, you know, so where I see retail is, I think it'll continue to evolve. I think you're you're going to have to have brick and mortar stores. Uh, Because Amazon, a lot of them are starting to get involved with that where everyone say, well, this is going to go to, you know, Internet-based. Everyone will buy from the Internet. Everyone will, you know, get things delivered to their home. And there will be a good percentage of that will happen. But when you look at retail as a whole and the size of retail, how much volume is there. You know, for an, for an internet, for you know, to have an effect, I mean, they might garner say ten or fifteen percent of the entire retail business, but it's it's enormous. And there's still people that no matter how fast you can get something <clears throat> next day, I mean, that's FedExes of the world. That's how they were born. Well, I got to have it tomorrow. Well, there's still these people who got to have it today, and there's only certain markets that you can get it today. So, I, I think what will happen with retail is, I think. They'll continue to, you know, to evolve. I think you'll start to see them trim the stores down a little bit. You know This big box mode that happened in the 90s will start to, you know it will never go away because literally I think in some communities uh, with some of these big box stores, it's, it's an event. We're going to go shopping at Walmart today. That's why there's Subways in there. That's why there's eyeglass stores inside the store. So I think strip malls will do well. You know, I know malls have really taken a hit, but they're the internal malls where, like anything else, unfortunately, with the American public. Well, you know, I want to park right in front of the store. I don't want to park on the other side of the mall and walk all the way over to the one that I'm going to. So, I think strip malls will do well. I think uh, malls will continue to suffer a little bit, and uh, I think retail it'll thrive, but it, it it'll cut out a lot of air, it'll cut out a lot of the fat. I think that's you'll see the ones that don't evolve will take a hit and go away. The ones that do will stay in the front of their marketplace. I mean, you saw in 2008, 2009, when, when the economy hit, you have a lot of retailers, you have a lot of corporations that cut out a lot of positions that they never replace the positions because they're finding out, well, maybe we were running a little too heavy back in the day. Now, we have the same effect. We have seven people that run up to 850 W-2 employees in the field from one corporate office. So we don't have satellite offices. We don't have, you know, a lot of mid-level management. And we run, I feel like we run better because there's a direct connection between the corporate staff and the employee. There's not a bunch of filters that change the message.
0: We're speaking with Dan Peck, and Dan is the CEO, the founder of Tab Retail Remodeling. So, Dan, Talk about what some of the key things that you see uh, that's important that have been important to you in your growth from a process point of view, from uh, you know employees. You know what 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 are some of the key things that ha- have gotten you to the to the point you're at specifically?
2: Well, I think first and foremost is the process. You know, I believe if we're going to do a job we need to do it well we need to do it correctly it needs to be done right and it sounds simple enough but to translate that into people that have feet on the ground that are scattered because we work nationally so we're scattered across the country and you know it's it's to instill that to continue probably to continue their uh, work ethic to help them continue to have that work ethic to show up on time to be professional while you're on the job site, you know, to, to be able to look at what's going on in an atmosphere because we work in stores that are open to the public. So, you know, for us, if we're headed out to lunch and guys walking out the door and they see a pallet leaning against the rack, you know, take five minutes, take it off the floor, put it in the back. You don't want to come back for lunch and find out a little five-year-old kid ran by it, it fell and hurt their foot or something. So It's that work ethic that we really focus on. And, you know, we are a family organization, but there is a hierarchy. You know, we need to make sure the employees, you know, we we love listening to ideas. We we definitely do a lot of homework and research, but we found over the years that certain things have to be done certain ways, if not necessarily for what the client is looking for, but the end result to get there. And I've seen a lot of change. I mean, when I was day-to-day running the operation, I ran it a certain way. You know, I wanted my managers, you know, to be in the field, to support their people, to make sure if someone came to you, I expected a yes or no. Didn't want to hear maybe. Didn't want to hear, well, we'll see what happens. If they had a need, we wanted to get them a yes or no answer. And if it was no, here's why. You know, we can't give you a raise today because you haven't earned it. You know, you need to get to this this piece here. Um, As far as the workforce today, I've seen a lot of changes where, it's it's difficult. It's been difficult. I don't know if there's more jobs available today than there was 15 years ago. I find it highly unlikely. I think, you know, everyone, everywhere you look, everyone's hiring. Everyone's looking for more help. And I understand the unemployment rate's low. But there's still got to be a segment of those people that haven't yet re-entered the workforce for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what that is, but... You know, you see a lot of retail organizations that are going out of business, and I haven't seen those people. I mean, we're we're I'm looking at resumes, I'm looking at applications all the time. I don't see Sears, Kmart, HH Greg. You know, I don't see that on there. Uh, you know, I don't see even higher positions. I don't know. You know, how the company, how the country moves forward until we can get everybody off the couch, so to speak. Uh, because we could take we we turned down, we easily could have grew twenty five percent this year, right? And yeah, because we of the proce- quite a bit of business. Yeah, because
1: of the processes, you have to really try to balance that desire for growth as well as that desire to stay highly profitable, mm-hmm. and uh, and a lot of that's predicated on on
2: people and talent. And for me, we see we're privately owned, and I can only imagine that you know dealing with a bunch of publicly owned companies is a lot of pressure. You know, they're looking for you to grow every year, and they want you to grow, and they want your numbers to get bigger, and they want your numbers to get better. And I've always looked at it and said to my, my senior staff, if someone walked in tomorrow and said, hey, we're going to give you 10 years at $20 million a year, and you're not going to grow an inch, I, I would be excited. I would be happy with that because you don't have to necessarily grow the top revenue number to grow the numbers that mean the most. I mean, Roger can attest to this. You know, we we turned down business last year, and this year, and actually shrunk down our size by probably revenue wise about twenty five percent, and became much more profitable, and we're able, we're able to do a lot more for our people in the field. Now, would we like to grow? Absolutely, but I want to be able to grow in a way that it doesn't affect our performance. It doesn't perfect. It doesn't affect how we view and how we conduct our business. That worries me. You know, for a while we were running in the mid to high 20s, million dollars worth of business a year, and, you know, we just opened ourselves up to a lot more scrutiny, a lot more issues, a lot more headache. My senior staff was working, you know, 20 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, You know, I'm a little older now. I look at the younger guys, and uh, I kind of smile when I see – Everything's smooth enough they can leave a little early on Friday and go golfing or go home to their family. I think that's important. That's an important part of what we do, especially because our crews in the field, I mean, our work week is typically 40 hours. You know, there are times to get overtime but not a ton. So they actually have, you know, schedules that allow them to enjoy where they might be on the road to go sightseeing, to do some things that are important to them because, they, let's face it, they might never be back. To that area again in their life, so I, I always encourage them. While you're there, anybody can walk into a dark, dreary bar. You know, anybody you could do that anywhere in the United States. But if you're, you know, a half an hour from Mount Rushmore or Yellowstone Park, you have to go. You might never be back there again. You you have to go, and, and they have the time to do that. So that's been important to us.
1: Now, despite what Dan says, he's still a pretty young guy, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Well, one of the things that we spent the, the last year really looking at was uh, was a succession plan, and we really were doing that, I think, because of, of your history and the way that you basically took over the firm and had to deal with all the debt, and so we've been really looking at some strategies, identifying some key employees, and, and putting all that in place. So uh, I commend you on, on thinking that far ahead as well.
2: Well, I appreciate it, and like I said, you've been a huge factor in helping me develop this plan. Uh, you know, I, I've been at the helm now. Been with the organization since '01. Technically, been at the helm since '04. And it does have a shelf life. I mean, it's it's been the last couple of years has been nice. My senior management crew is is excellent. They really care about the business. They care about the people. So I've been able to back out a lot. So I play around with you know different projects. So it's been it's been nice. It's been enjoyable. And, you know, because for a while it was a grind. But like I said earlier in the program, I, I mean, it's, it's a choice when you, when you move up and you take on different positions in any organization. There's a lot of people that directly rely on you. So when you leave the office, you're not really done for the day. You have to think about, okay, where are we going next? How are we going to take care of, you know, Joe and his family of five that lives in, you know, southern Alabama, and he might be working in michigan for the week i mean you really have to consciously understand how many people that your day-to-day you know life affects and, and that's why with tab especially i've always looked at tab as its own entity and you know i get a paycheck if there's something that i want to buy and i can't afford it with my paycheck you know what i do i don't buy it i can't go to an organization i i saw it happen firsthand well, you know I need a hundred thousand dollars because I want to go buy this. I want to go buy that and that's where the trouble starts. You start pulling money out of an organization and then you wonder how do we get here and the staff that I have in place now, the successions plan that we're working on is it'll ease me out it'll it'll take it'll take ten years. I'm dug in pretty good, but uh, you know after the first five, we developed a plan where you know my senior management will acquire about half the stock. And, uh, you know, then from that point, I figure, well, half the stock, then I can probably work half the time <laughs> and hopefully gauge down from there over the next five years. But uh, it, the company's in very good hands. You know, Andrew Rotono is my chief operational officer. He does an excellent job. He's a young guy. He's smart. Uh, he's probably better than I was in that position, and he's he's good. But he understands what's going on. He understands the marketplace he understands the employee base and that's critical you know yeah. and, I mean we could go and I could sell tomorrow to an outside organization right. but i don't know if that does my people in the field you know justice for what they've done to get us where we are cuz realistically i you know i just happen to be the guy at the head of the organization they're the ones that did everything to get us right. where we are and most importantly of all anthony's been part of that planning process Oh, yes, yes. Yes, he's been he's been involved from day one with mm-hmm. it. So he understands where he's getting himself into. And he goes back and forth because it's good and bad. I mean, everyone says, oh, you know, I, I, how do I get to your job? How do I get to your position? Well, let's see. It starts about 80, 90 hours a week. Put everything that you have online every single minute of every single day. Wonder why, no matter how diligent you are in paying your bills while your credit score is always in the toilet because every state city and municipality wants to run your credit for everything that you do so when you have like 280 inquiries that doesn't help your reporting so you know there's a lot that goes on with business ownership that it's difficult to translate to your guy in the on the ground in the field all he knows is hey you told me to do these things for 40 hours i got to get paid for these 40 hours and that's fine uh, we, we do, you know, with our senior manager, we do, we do some profit sharing, and we bonus them out a couple times a year. We used to do it by project, but we're finding that it's a little easier to look at the the, the whole of their work for the year and do things for them. Yeah, you know, we always try to incentivize employees in the field, and these are the things, that's Andrew's strength. He understands he's close enough to it. He goes out in the field a lot, uh, so he understands what they're looking for because it, there's only so much we can do because we have to you know keep the keep the ship going in the right direction so you can't go overboard but there are times where you know we've had some unfortunately some tragedies as a as a family and we have to step in and do what we have to do i mean i was just in maine a couple of months ago for an employee and his family but you know that's part of the business i mean that's part of if you want to call yourself a family organization. And you need to be there for your family, and you also need to know when not to be there for your family.
0: Dan, you you spoke a lot about being a family organization and caring about your employees and thinking about your employees' families. And even when they're out of state, making the best of the situation and going sightseeing, can you tell me how having that sort of culture has helped your success?
2: Well, I I think they understand that we actually are kind of invested in what what their life is or what we want their life to be, what they want their life to be. When I worked in the field, you know, it was difficult because you wanted to to keep the employees under you satisfied and happy. But when too many things get out, like the entire corporate staff might be over in Europe and the offices are closed and you have employees trying to wonder, well, my paycheck's not right, you know, the $90 that their paycheck might have been different to them is the world. And you have to be there to be able to to help them with that. And I think those were things that I saw that I've learned over the course of my life that, you know, take take five minutes to slow down and talk to the guy that, you know, he's on a crew and he might just be sweeping the back stock room for the store. But you know what? That task at that time, at that moment, is critically important to overall success. A lot of coaches, you know, across all sports understand that every piece of the team has got to participate and be part of the team. If they sit down or they take that time off, it affects the entire organization. So I I think that's why, you know, I stress trying to be involved, you know, and there's all, you're always going to be at least arm's length, but you have to understand what these people are going through. And a lot of my staff I brought in from the field. So they, they understand they were there. I traveled. I traveled a lot. I was gone, you know, my daughters were two. I was on the road during Christmas. But, you know, something I tell everyone and all my employees, I said, you know, everyone says, well, you know, my family's number one. Well, guess what? If your family is truly number one to you, which it should be, then your occupation and your job has to be number one as well. It has to be even because it's how you take care of your family. And that's what we try to instill in the employees, you know. Geez, you know, gee, I went out last night, I had a rough night, sorry I'm late. Well, you know, everybody's done that. But, you know, it's about repetition. Guys, you got to get here on time. you got to be professional. you got to be ready to go to work at 8, not rolling at 8.15. And, you know, it's hard. In today's day and age, you know, it's very difficult to crack down because, you, you know, you let someone go because they were late four times over a 10-week project. And then you're at the next project. Boy, I wish I would have at least had that guy. He might be late, but he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So, you have to temper everything that you do, and it, it, it's tough, and it, it, it's difficult for me. I've been in this business a long time, and I see some of the compromises that we make, and I don't know, I guess I guess uh you know that's why I have to have it in the hands of a younger guy that understands, and you know I, I gauge it simply by this: is everyone that we work for tells us that we're ranked number one with them. They always call us when the chips are down, they need help. So that means Andrew, his team, our people in the field are doing exactly what they're supposed to do. You know, we're still the go-to company. We're still the ones that everyone is chasing. We're still the ones that our clients call first. So we're definitely still doing things right. It's just a different kind of right. Mm -hmm. And that's why I was saying, back with retail, with everything, you have to continue to evolve. You can't. If you stay still, you're going to get caught.
0: Great story from Dan Peck. Who's the founder and CEO of Tab Retail Uh You know, i got one question for you, Dan, and I don't want to put Roger and Courtney on the spot, but I mean, you, you've they've had uh, you've pulled them in a lot to help you along the way, right? I mean, because it sounds like you were talking earlier about the succession planning, all the different divisions or entities that you've set up, the union entity, woman owned Uh, business uh, entity Uh, so you've really put them to work for you haven't you absolutely absolutely (laughs) that that's great stuff and I'm assuming that that's essential is in terms of some of the initiatives that you've had and getting from there to here
2: oh yes sir uh, I learned a long time ago you surround yourself with the best possible team you can and that goes directly to your outside vendors I mean, you know, what I've seen from Roger and his team is they're not they're looking to ask me the next question, which is where I want to be. I I always felt, you know, if I'm the guy doing all the homework and bringing things to people and saying, "Well, what about this? What about that?" you know, then why would I need those people? What I like with Roger's team is they're coming to me and they're saying, "Okay, so this is where you want to be. This is how you want to do it. So we'll get you there." But do it this way, so that way everything, all everything checks, all the boxes are checked, and they understand. I think they've taken great pains to understand who I am, what I am, what my business is about, what what Andrew is looking to achieve there, and it's been a great partnership. It really has. I mean, I was very fortunate to you know get involved with Fraser Dieter and uh, Roger and Courtney specifically, and you know they've listened, which. Let's face it, nowadays, it, you know, a lot of people, they don't listen too well. So they've done a great job of listening and what we're trying to do, and they have all the resources that we need. And I feel, for the first time in a long time, I feel like one of the one things I don't have to go through tooth and nail is financing and taxes and wonder, okay, why aren't we taking advantage of this tax break or that tax break? Because we work all over the country. There's things... I mean, there's stuff that I've forgotten about, you know, accounting and taxes. That thankfully, thankfully, I should not should not know and don't want to know. That's why I have these guys because they're excellent at what they do. Well, right.
0: thank, you. yeah,
1: no, thank you. We we appreciate that. Oh, David. absolutely appreciate working with you and glad to see your company so successful and in Gainesville, Georgia as well. So that's great.
0: Good stuff. So. um Dan, as we uh, wrap it up here, any any parting thoughts that you have for entrepreneurs out there that are listening that uh, want to learn from your success?
2: I would tell them if there's something they want to do that they feel like they, they really want to be involved with, they have to go about it every second of every day like that's exactly what they want to do, and where they want to be. You know, I see a lot of guys start organizations and You know, well, now that I work for myself, I can show up at 10, I can leave at 3, and it gives me more freedom to do things. And, you know, and it might work, but the reality of it is you you have to put in the effort, you have to put in the time, and you have to surround yourself with good people. That's the big thing. Find the right. Don't take on too many tasks. Don't think you can do your taxes and your banking and every single part of your organization. And I know you start small. You know, there's some things you're going to have to do your homework. You're going to have to learn about insurances. You're going to have to learn about finance. You know, but that's part of being an entrepreneur. So I would tell them, I would tell them if, they, if it's something they want and they're willing to put in the time and the effort, then go ahead and do it and find the right people to bring along with you.
0: Words of wisdom from Dan Peck. He, Dan is the founder CEO of Tab Retail Remodeling. Roger, what a story.
1: That's why we brought them here, John. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. And obviously you and Courtney have done a, done a great job shepherding, shepherding this company along. So congratulations to all. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Absolutely. Folks, I want to remind everyone that Frazier & Dieter is a award-winning national CPA and advisory firm with deep technical expertise and an even deeper dedication to their clients. And I think you heard that today. Their CPAs and advisors believe in investing in relationships to make a difference. For more information, go to com. Roger, any parting words for us
1: today? No, I think, uh, Dan, I think you did a great job, and we appreciate you coming down from Gainesville, and uh, we look forward to uh, helping you with all your plans and to meet your goals.
2: Well, thank you, Roger. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it wasn't bad, was it? No, not at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> great work. So, uh For Roger Lusby and everyone at Frazier and Dieter, join us next time for another edition of Frazier and Dieter's Business Beat.